Hey, it's Mark. This week's series of mini episodes taped live at the health conference in Vegas continues with digital editor Jack O'Brien. Hi there, and welcome to the MMM podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. I'm the digital editor at MMM, and I am joined today by Maruna Sasu of Coda. How are you doing, Maruna? Doing great. Great to see you. Excellent. I'm glad you're able to join us here on day three of the health conference in Las Vegas. And I guess I want to start there, as I've been doing with a lot of our guests. What has the conference been like for you? What sort of topics and trends have you been paying attention to? Yeah, it's been a really great. Um, I think one of the key themes that I'm seeing is sort of the digital piece being drawn through everything that we're doing. So anywhere, I'm, I'm a pharma gal at heart. Um, so I, I've been with Bristol Myers Scribb. I've been with Johnson & Johnson. Now I'm at Coda Inc. Uh, in real world data. But what I've seen is that a lot of uh, the lessons that we have learned through the COVID pandemic are being are being really drawn through processes that um, we're seeing from anywhere from you know, pr- providers to payers, even to pharma companies as well. So I'm really excited to see a lot of electronic and digital themed capabilities being being put to work. Excellent. I I'm, want to tie back to what you were talking about in terms of your pharma background, but first for our audience who may not know the work that Coda does, can you give us a little bit of background on the company itself, You know where you are in the sector, and you know some of the initiatives that are out there? Absolutely. So Coda, I always say Coda is an older startup. Uh, Coda was founded in 2011 uh, as a value-based care company, believe it or not. But in order to do what we do, we needed to really um, start thinking about curating real-world data very, very deeply. Deeply. Uh, and that's part of the fact that we have a patented technology called the NoCoda Nodal Address, which is a patient cohorting, very deep patient cohorting mechanism that allows doctors and uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and others to really be able to um, show patients and patient cohorts that are very like each other. So the company started in that vein, and in order to put this Coda Nodal Address on every patient record in an electronic health record, um, we had to deeply curate the data. And guess what? So the cool thing is that the real-world data we were curating is usable not just for healthcare providers to, to perform this work, but also usable by life science companies to do R&D and to look at commercialization and how their therapies are being absorbed by the market. And so now what Coda does is we uh, we curate this data, we license it to life science companies. It's all oncology data, by the way. And not only do we license it to, to life science companies, we actually provide it back to healthcare providers and doctors to make decisions on how they want to treat patients. It's very interesting. And I, I did want to follow up on the pharma background because I'm sure that really influences how you go about, you know, the business strategy for Coda. I'm curious just how that has influenced your work there, because obviously you have that sort of unique perspective and then you're able to say, hey, we have this data that you're not only just providing them with, you know, an endless stream of information, but something they can actually make actionable decisions on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have a long history with working with world world data in pharma. So at Bristol-Myers Squibb, I was the head of digital health and innovation that spanned the entire company. So it went from uh, from discovery to R&D to commercialization. And at the time, your world data wasn't a thing. So when I was working there, um, Giovanni Caforio, our CEO, basically said, you know what? I want you to be in charge of developing digital health here. And I was like, well, what the heck does that mean? He said, you know what? Dis- 
design it, make it. You make it what you think it should be. And I thought at, you know, let's start with clinical trial data. Um, and clinical trial data is limited. It's very, very good. It's deep. It's the gold standard of what regulatory agencies want to see, but it's very limited. You don't see the real patient. You see a cherry-picked cohort of patients that the company felt they should go after the, to get their drug approved, um, the, you know, the, where the treatment could really benefit them. But you don't see the patients that are that have toxicities, that are you know have comorbidities in the real world, that that have had a stroke or a, a heart attack or real patients, right? You don't really see those because they need to follow a certain inclusion exclusion criteria to be included in the clinical trial. And so the first thing I thought was, you know it would be phenomenal to have a, an arsenal of data that I could look at for population um, statistics and to understand the population before we actually pull the trigger on a clinical trial. And so I started working with companies like Flatiron. <laughs> when Flatiron was a really, really tiny company, um, we made uh, a really big investment in them uh, at Bristol-Myers Squibb. We, uh, we essentially productized some of their offerings with them. Um, then we worked with other companies as well. And so so probably about 20 to 25 companies, small companies that are now actually pretty successful in the real world data and evidence space. Coda at the time didn't happen to be one of those companies. They were going after value-based care. They sort of said, nah, I don't want to go into the space. But when I got to J&J, uh, Coda said, I want to have a strategy where I'm including life sciences in this. And so I, I got really interested. And so at J&J, I focused my work, particularly on clinical trials and how to use real-world data to accelerate and to um, augment clinical trials. And so here's how you do that. You take uh, a cohort of patients that you're interested in in a real-world data population. So you license a data set. You analyze that data set and you say, all right, let me look at the health disparities. Let me look at... Um, potentially if I have social determinants of data, which patients should I go after and where should they be? For me to open a site in a location where I can get, you know, black patients and, and um, any, you know, dem demographically diverse uh, patients and, and even, you know, other social determinants of health as well. And so um, the, the key there was analyze the, the real world data that, that you have licensed go after the clinical trial and put those patients on the clinical trial as the real world data is is showing. And after that, let's try to even enroll patients that we're seeing coming into the real world data at the places where they are so that we can reduce some of the burden on the patient of going you know, 100 miles away to an academic site, for example. And it really worked. Um, so I've had a lot of history of working with real world data. I've had a lot of analytics. I'm a statistician by trade. Um, so I've done a lot of analytics. I've led a lot of analytics teams. And so what led me to Dakota was I got a snippet of their data and I thought this is the best data I've ever seen. I want to make more of it. Um, and when they called, um, I was so very happy to join them to, to sort of switch the strategy to the life science side and also to grow these big data sets. Spoken like a true statistician to say <laughs> I saw data that I really 
liked and I just had to jump on it. Yes. <laughs> I'm really curious because you obviously have such a wealth of knowledge as it relates to real world data. And I'm sure that our audience may be interested in that, but may also have their own limitations in terms of what they understand. I'm curious from your perspective, maybe what you see as the biggest myths or misconceptions mm -hmm. around real world data that maybe won't fit the bill to what somebody might think. Yeah. So there are two that I, I'd love to highlight. One is um, real world data is not a clinical trial. So the expectation that rural data is going to be clean and completely uh, filled as a clinical trial data set, um, that's, that's, it's just the wrong way to think about it because this is messy, it's messy data that is coming from a physician. Um, and so what they see is what they put into the record. Uh, and that's what we take, which is, which is a good thing. Um, but it, it does not look like clinical trial data at all. And the expectation and the expectation that you should analyze it as a clinical trial data set is not the right way to go about it. Um, uh, the second part of it is I think um, folks have a tough time actually doing stuff with it. They're like, ah, this is messy. I don't I, I really don't know how to use it. The most interesting part of this is because in, in pharma, you have these siloed teams that do a specific thing. So biostatisticians in a pharma company analyze clinical trial data. That is what they do all day long. And so you say, I want you to look at a different kind of data set. And they're like, what? That's not what I do. And they see this data set. It's not perfectly filled out. It doesn't look like clinical trial. And they're like, nah, somebody else has to be in charge of doing that. When you do that, you are essentially siloing um, a center of excellence. In my opinion, and, and this is something I tried to do everywhere I have been, you need to get the real world data in the hands of the people who are dealing with regulatory statistics. Real world data can be utilized for regulatory use cases. It is utilized in that way. CODA, in fact, has proven that um, you can perform an external control arm where you have control patients you don't have to put a patient on a control arm. You can have control patients in a data set because they've been treated with standard of care. Well, so who's in charge of analyzing that? It should probably be the same person that's analyzing the clinical trials stats, right? Um, it typically isn't. Um, so I think that there's a, a little bit of a misnomer there that somebody else should be, not the statisticians that are in charge of clinical trials should be in charge of analyzing real world data. It should be like a health economics team or something. But I would argue that that's not the case. Everybody should be familiar with it so that everybody knows how to place it in a regulatory package, how to um, study it for patient population insights before you even, even go into thinking about a clinical trial. That's, that's really insightful, and I think I kind of want to pivot the conversation a little bit for our audience's sake, because most of them are medical marketers representing pharma and biotech brands, and I'm sure that they listen to you talk about you know, the importance of diversifying clinical trials. It's something that we've had a conversation about with a lot of other guests uh, in these two days that we've been here. I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you would impart to them in terms of maybe advice or strategy as they go about representing these brands in the pharma, biotech, life sciences field, because obviously they see that same value, but maybe they don't know how to accomplish or maybe they don't have the right track record to, to get yeah. there. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. I'd say just inform yourself about real world data and insert it in everything we do. Um, I think uh, it's 
a lot of the the pitfalls that I have seen in terms of using real world data is folks within pharma, you know, sort of look at it. They go, it's it's kind of messy. I don't know that I want to do it. I'm just going to do what I used to do. You can't do that. You mm-hmm. can't do that anymore because the expectation is that these drugs are getting to market faster. And as a pharma company, if you if you're not going to follow the trend, you'll fall behind and go bankrupt. And so my advice to anybody, medical marketers included, is start to follow the trend. It may be uncomfortable to use real world data. It may be uncomfortable to use it even in marketing. It may be, uh, oh, I don't know, it's controversial. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't even mention it. Mention it. It's a thing. And it's something that it's becoming a big part of what pharma companies are are utilizing um, and and will be even more so as we think about taking electronic medical records data and inserting it directly into clinical trial data because think about it this way you can take you know in a clinical trial data how do you how do you actually record the patient information you have to have a platform that the site enters into and they also enter the same information in the EMR why in God's name would you do that? It's just it's just for additional hours. What if you make a mistake from one to the other? Hmm? Not good, right? Um, so the next step for all of this is not just utilizing robo data. It's taking electronic medical records data, just a portion of it, the demographics and everything that's been entered at the clinical site, taking that and pushing it into your clinical uh, trial records, essentially saying, Hospital X already has Jane Doe on file. I am not going to make them fill out an additional piece of paperwork that says that she's female. I'm going to take what they have, and I'm going to ask them the additional questions just within the system so I don't add burden to them. That is going to happen. That is the next revolution. Um, and if we don't follow the trend, it saves money, it saves time, it, 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 saves, it saves everybody a whole bunch of burden. Uh, it hasn't happened at scale yet, but there are companies that are starting to piecemeal it, and companies like Coda are going to follow suit. So um, it's, it, you know, it's sort of at the cusp. I think we have to, we have to follow the trends. Excellent. And, and to that point, Maruna, it's been great having you on the show. You talk about the next revolution. I'm curious what, you know, we're here at the end of 2022, going into 23. What does the future look like for CODA? Maybe the next, you know, year or two, what's on the radar? Yeah. So CODA is a foundation company. Um, CODA is a real world data company that licenses real world data and performs analytics with it. The part that I'm here to expand on is what do you do beyond just the real world data sets? Turns out, everybody talks about AI. <laughs> Everyone talks about technology and, uh, and how the technology is going to be the future. You can't technologize stuff if you don't have data. So the reason I say it's a foundation company is because now we have a really solid foundation in the house that will become the structure. and that structure will be made of use cases that you can utilize the real-world data for, like clinical trial patient matching, like long-term follow-up. After a clinical trial, you do not need to continue with the trial. You can follow the patient if they consented wherever they are. 
in in the record. They could be moving to, I don't know, Australia. You could actually follow them through their record so that they know, so that you know that if they've had, you know, a long, um, long-standing chronic disease, what's going on with them. And so you can say, oh, yeah, by the way, that was actually due to this treatment that we did 10 years ago, potentially, right? And so that will contribute to preventative medicine and it'll contribute to health overall. I think for CODA, we are ready for all of that. We're still a relatively small company, but we're really excited to partner around what you can do with the real world data. So we are building that huge foundation of data, largely in hematologic oncology, but we plan on going to solid tumors as well and beyond. So if you're gonna be in real world data, you have to be in oncology at this time, but very soon we're gonna go potentially into other therapeutic areas as well and build a much more solid foundation for all the technologies that are being built to come tap into that and actually AI stuff. So that's what I'm really excited about. Well, it sounds very exciting, and I'm sure that we'll be able to keep following that in our reporting as all that gets rolled out. And again, I really appreciate you being on the show here and obviously look forward to everything that CODA has going on in the future. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been such a pleasure. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.